This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, committed to teaching, research, and professional training with degree programs in multiple locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com. Welcome back to the legislature today. I'm Bob Brunner. Thanks for joining us. The Senate Judiciary Committee advanced a bill to the Senate floor Wednesday that would allow the concealed carrying of a handgun on the state university campuses. Reporter Chris Schultz has more. As the chairman said, the committee has before it for its consideration a proposed committee substitute for Senate Bill 10. Senate Bill 10 would allow holders of concealed handgun permits to carry concealed on all of the state's higher education campuses, regardless of existing restrictions. Eleven other states currently require colleges and universities to allow concealed carry, including Arkansas, Kansas, and Georgia, which all passed similar legislation in 2017. While SB 10 does exclude many on-campus locations from concealed carry, the law ultimately limits schools' ability to restrict handguns on campus and requires the institutions to provide gun safes in dormitories. You know, Senator Jay Taylor of Taylor uh, County said the bill allows everyone to have their Second Amendment rights, making it a safer world. Senator Mike Caputo of Marion was the sole objector to the bill, questioning the bill's safety as well as the financial and logistical responsibility it introduces for schools. Time, I think it's a, it's a huge burden that we're putting on the, the universities. I think it's going to be a huge cost. I think it's going to be a huge headache. And I just hope and pray that uh, we're not having a, a conversation about how this was a bad idea. Within moments of the committee convening, Marshall University President Brad Smith and West Virginia University President Gordon Gee tweeted out a joint statement. We support local control, and we believe that our Board of Governors are best suited to decide whether guns should be permitted on campus. We therefore do not support statewide campus carry, the statement reads. The statement continues, whether it is mental health challenges facing some students, discussion about grades, recruitment of new students and faculty, or the protection of open and honest debates of ideas, we are concerned about inserting firearms into these types of situations. The statement also asked that if such a bill were passed, that it include best practices and safeguards related to campus carry as established in other states, such as not allowing concealed carry at venues with more than 1,000 spectators, in laboratories with hazardous substances, or in campus daycares. Many of the listed restrictions are already included in the body of the bill. A revised version of SB 10 was reported to the Senate at large and will be taken up on first reading Friday, January 20th. Four similar bills, one in the Senate and three in the House, have been introduced so far in this session. For the legislature today, I'm Chris Schultz, reporting at the Capitol. 
The governor's 50% income tax cut proposal was passed by the House yesterday, but the bill got a cold reception in the Senate. Randy Yoey spoke with Senate Finance Chairman Eric Tarr on why the House bill was DOA and what might be proposed in its place. Senate President Craig Blair chuckled a bit upon receiving House Bill 2526, proposing a 50% income tax cut phased in over three years. The House plan would see the state lose a quarter of its current revenue stream, replaced by surplus revenue and expected population growth. The bill was referred to the Finance Committee. The chair of that committee, Senator Eric Tarr, Republican from Putnam County, said the House bill was a no-go for passage. He said it's not sustainable and would destroy the state budget in about three years. Well, within three years, it's upside down. So they're, they're, they're spending a lot of one-time money that's up there, uh, well beyond what we've developed with the flatline budget, um, to be able to do a what should be an imperpetuity tax cut. But uh, Dave Hardy, Secretary of Revenue, when he's in front of Senate Finance, said that, yes, this may not be there in three years, and it's just going to be uh, the next governor's problem or, the, or a, a future legislature's problem. And that's irresponsible. It's just risky as all get out, and we're not going to let that fly. Tarr said the Senate's yet-to-be-introduced tax cut proposal will competitively attract people and business to West Virginia. He said the proposal will highlight the key elements of the failed amendment, too, but this time, cuts in property and vehicle taxes will come in the form of a rebate. We've had it in public forever, is, is we address personal property issues with it, so when you're looking at it, manufacturing equipment, inventory, and vehicles, and the governor just sent up a vehicle rebate plan now, so we thought using the governor's plan to address those, but include the species of property that prevent businesses from coming into West Virginia, and then use what we have in the remainder, because there's more after that, to start triggering down the income tax, so that in time, the income tax is gone, and then that personal property tax would be effectively gone, but it's not real, because it's kind of clunky to have to do it that way. Clunky in the fact that there's concern with implementing all the bells and whistles of a working mechanism for large-scale tax rebates. Tarr said the rebate method may be temporary, until the public realizes a constitutional amendment to eliminate property and vehicle taxes is the best way forward. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yowie. The Senate today passed Senate Bill 74, which amends existing state code relating to the state superintendent's interpretation of school laws. Before the vote, Senator Charles Trump of Morgan County said, asking the state superintendent to clarify questions of school law has been in state code for more than 100 years. The bill now requires other state entities to defer to the superintendent's interpretation unless there is an existing court ruling. Uh, we don't want 55 different interpretations of some law that the legislature enacts or some policy that the State Board of Education uh, adopts. And so we, uh, we empower, as the you know, chief educational officer for the state, the law empowers the superintendent to answer questions and render interpretations. Senator Mike Caputo of Marion County questioned the inclusion of the West Virginia Public Employees Grievance Board in the list of entities that must defer to the education superintendent's interpretation. But I think what it means is it allows the grievance board to basically just say, sorry, you don't have a grievance because the superintendent ruled this way or that way. That's not a sense of fairness, Mr. President, when you are aggrieved. I wouldn't want to represent a coal miner, and every time I went in there, 
they said, well, sorry, the, the mine superintendent said it was this way, so that's the way it's got to be. That's just not fair. That's what courts are for. That's what grievance procedures are for. Trump clarified that the bill does not allow the superintendent to supersede a court ruling. The bill passed 27 to 4 with three senators absent. The bill now goes to the House of Delegates for its consideration. State education leaders have been pushing the need for early childhood intervention in schools to ensure literacy. The renewed focus comes after state and national test results in 2022 showed steep declines in reading and math scores. As Chris Schulz reports, those efforts are starting to move through the legislature. They can teach themselves a lot of things because they could read it. I just want to say this is outstanding. Thank you both. The Senate Education Committee took up Senate Bill 274 Thursday morning. The bill, titled the Third Grade Success Act, enacts several changes to how literacy is taught from kindergarten through third grade, which is considered a crucial period for lifetime reading skills. Senator Mike Oliverio of Monongalia initially expressed concern that the legislation was not in line with what teachers in classrooms actually wanted or needed, and lacked a focus on math but was convinced by the day's discussion. We've been talking about really transforming how we teach reading to children in West Virginia. Clearly we've identified there's a problem and we want to look for a solution. And this legislation is designed to do that. Oliverio also serves on the Senate Finance Committee where Senate Bill 274 heads next. I'll be talking to some elementary school teachers uh, and asking them if, if they believe this is the right direction and then on finance with that positive feedback that I hope I receive and, and the, uh, what appears to be success in other jurisdictions around the country, uh, I'll be supportive of funding this initiative and, and really recognizing that there are a few things more important, if any, than, than making sure that our children are learning and, and maturing properly. State Superintendent David Roach has been championing early childhood literacy as a core component of the Department of Education's Ready, Read, Write West Virginia initiative. He said he was pleased to see the legislature take action on the issue. Wonderful. I think it's uh, wonderful for our children. I think it gives help to our teachers. We're going to be asking uh, to implement the science of reading. Uh, we will be training our uh, aides or paraprofessionals, whatever decision comes down to to, uh, how to address those folks, but our teachers will also be thrilled because they'll have a partner trying to help the students because we have a wide range of students coming in the classroom and I think it'll be a great success with their addition. A key component of the legislation and Roach's approach to early literacy is to increase individual intervention by bringing more aides and reading coaches into the classroom. The bill also aims to reduce class sizes and redefine the acceptable ratio of instructors and students in a classroom. Uh, it's so critical for our children to read, to be successful, and without being able to read pro proficiently, uh, we are really kind of shutting doors on their future. And I, don't, I think every child deserves an open door, so I'm excited. Uh, the science of reading actually shows the brain changing there's evidence that the components of phonemic awareness, phonics, fluency, vocabulary, comprehension, plus writing changes the pathway in the brain and our children can read. Superintendent Roach said Senate Bill 274 represents a collaboration between the Department of Education, the legislature, and the governor. It takes all of us, the whole state, all our agencies to come together to make this happen and for it to be successful 
because our agency alone cannot do it. It takes truly the whole state. Although literacy is his first priority, Roach said the Department of Education will present a similar improvement plan for mathematics this spring. For the legislature today, I'm Chris Schultz. How will these proposed early childhood education reforms affect your children, your school system, your wallet? Randy Yoey joins us with Senator Bob Plymel and Delegate Joe Statler in our studio at the Capitol, and they're ready to break it all down. Thanks so much, Bob. Yeah, I'm pleased to have two members from the House and the Senate Education Committee with me today. Is Senator Bob Plymel, a Democrat from Wayne County. He's a member of that Senate Education Committee. And Delegate Joe Statler, a Republican from Monongalia County, and he's co-chair of the House Education Committee. Uh, gentlemen, both thanks for being here today. Well, thank you. I mean, we're going to talk about early childhood initiatives, and we've all heard about it uh, throughout the media and throughout the House and Senate in a general sense, and we can get into a little more specifics today and explain to the parents, teachers, students, community members just what we're talking about here. So we're looking at House Bill 2003, which you passed off to the Finance Committee yesterday. Then this morning, you talked about Senate Bill 274, the Third Grade Success, Success Act. And bottom line, it's providing teachers from first, second, and third grade systems and support to help students reach grade level literacy and numeracy, which is a new word to me, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, by the end of their third grade period. Why is that so important? Joe, we'll start with you. Well, our test scores coming in has showed that uh, we have not met the mark on what we need to do uh, in those areas. And so we've got to do something to strengthen that up because we know that by the end of the third grade, if our students aren't reading uh, to proficiency level, it's a very slim chance that they're going to be able to improve and get better as they go on. And without being able to read to the level they need to, school just becomes much more tougher. And it actually, there's a lot of studies out there as to how many will go on to college, how many will drop out, all those issues are in there. So it's something that we have to deal with. So we're talking basically about bringing teachers aides and assistance to the teachers in first, second and third grade. I know the governor in the state of the state said he was gonna give $37 million to earmark that for first grade teaching assistance. Uh, what we're talking about here are classrooms. I think the number right now is 12 or more. That is correct. Is it similar in the Senate plan? Uh, fairly similar. Um, I think that um, the beauty that we have in the Senate is, you know, uh, Senator Grady, the chair, is actually a fourth grade teacher, and she is dealing with this every day in the classroom. Uh, I think the teacher aid is in the formula. That is a real important thing. Uh, I do agree with Delegate Statler that uh, when you look at the research, it certainly tells you that if you don't address this, you lose the children exponentially through the system. And imp important thing is, when we did some studies before, when we did the pre-K initiatives, if you don't do this, guess where they end up? They end up on, on social programs, they end up in jail. We, it's, the, it's a real direct correlation between that. And, and we should realize we already have a pre-K and kindergarten initiative where we have instituted these teachers aides and uh, assistants. Um, the numbers from West Virginia Department of Education show that there's more than 2,400 first, second, and third grade classrooms. So we're talking about a good amount of people here, and, and we're seeing where the price tag, at least on the House side, 
is right around $100 million. And there was a bit of contention regarding that yesterday, wasn't there, Joe? Well, not a, there was some questions to the State Department and how that would be and basically where the uh, money, how they would put it out there and how it's spent. And they broke it down in the note. It was all there available to us. And some of it not only would go to pay the salaries, but there's everything around the salaries also that has to be paid. And plus there's a training. This bill called for quite a bit of extensive training uh, for the new uh, assistant teachers, and that has to be paid for. And there's some continuation of stuff, even on to the testing that they called for in there. I was looking today, I believe it was uh, estimated at $20 a student, and multiply that by the amount of students, and I don't have that number off the top of my head, but it's several students. Then you have that- 2,400 classes, yeah. Yeah, 2,400 classrooms, <laughs> and so it, it the number, comes up quickly, uh, there's no doubt about it. And uh, basically we did have some discussion and, and which of course we have members that did not want to grow government. Uh, this will grow government by uh, uh, basically 2,400 uh, people, one for each classroom. So you have members that doesn't want to, to grow the government. So they, uh, they would object to it uh, on that basis. But when it well, comes to, oh, let ahead. me say something that this is an investment in the future. If we don't do this investment in our children, we're not going to have the workforce of the future. So this is a, a, a multi-realm component that you've got to look at. You've got to do this early childhood. We also need to do something related to the, from, from COVID, we have the COVID effect that's on education. We need to catch kids up. We need to do some intense summer training or some things like this. And then there's the continuum on the higher ed side of how do we train the workforce of tomorrow. This is a critical element of all these pieces to being together. I mean, I applaud the effort. I really do. There's one element here that I don't know might have questions to it. And that's the fact that when you establish where the third graders stand with some new scales, as a matter of fact, the new uh, uh, um, assessments, if you will, if they don't reach those certain numbers, they could be held back for a year. That is in the House bill, and uh, there's some uh, concerns over that, but I would tell you what it says is basically that by the end of the third grade, if that student can't read at a proficient level, and there's some triggers that they can trigger around and, and be uh, excused from that, and one of them was that and this is one that became a little in contention, if the parent, if the teacher recommends an assessment team that they be held back, the parent can uh, go and ask that they be moved forward to the fourth grade. And in that bill, it says, okay, if we do that, then your child must attend a summer academy and summer learning uh, to be able to move them on forward into the fourth grade. And even when they got into the fourth grade, then they still have to offer more assistance from the county level to that student to be sure that they're caught up and moving on. So there's checks and balances in it or in, in the whole system that's in there. But I would agree with the Senator, no matter what the cost of this is, we have to do it because we have more businesses coming into West Virginia and we simply don't have the workforce and they, they're crying out for it also. I think that both bills leave an opening. They, they do set up new benchmark assessments for first, second, and third grade students 
to understand literacy and math, but it says that we'll shift resources if we need to. This is a, a fluid situation. It's not gonna be totally locked down, but we'll learn from it uh, at school. I mean, come on, uh, and is that right? That's right, and, and every county's different. You know, uh, that's the other thing, that you've gotta have some flexibility built in it so the counties can implement this in the right fashion. So in some cases, they may have already put some initiatives together in a county that are more geared for, for this type of thing. Well, this will allow them to, to be able to use these resources to do the whole child. The, the critical part of this is you're giving the teacher the tools to be able to teach and we're giving them the wraparound services that will make sure that students learn. I saw it was interesting to say each county is going to have its own decision-making power. County boards of education will provide the in-service training and the specific roles for these teacher assistants will be determined by principals. So it's, they're not handing them, a, here's what you have to do. It's the principal of the school that I guess understands his teachers and his system is gonna make some of those decisions. That is correct, and, and also the State Board of Education will set up some of those guidelines of where it's at, but I agree with the Senator that some of this has to be made more local uh, to allow them to continue to make the decisions. One thing that calls for that I think is very important in this bill, and I, I think on one hand it's important, on the other it's not, it calls for assessments three times a year mm. for those students. Now, what that assessment is is to be determined by how they set the rules up, but I will tell you that any teacher that's in the classroom are assessing them every day. So it's not like this magical day they're going to change. I, I do believe most of our teachers across the state are assessing those students every day far more than we might think. I, I think our teachers, when I was young, assessed us every hour, I think. They were, they were after us all the time. But I, but I think this does set up some benchmarks. See, if you go look into the build, it's benchmarked in every way. So this allows you to have some benchmarks so that you can gauge where the student is so you know how to do the next steps for that student. This is really an, an individualized education plan for each child. I really like that. Was there anything else in your meeting this morning from your Third Grade Success Act that you want to bring out that we haven't mentioned here in a general sense? Well, I think the, the, the thing that I really uh, liked is the, the fact that everybody uh, realized that this is a priority that we need to address. And I, so how does it work after this? You've got your bill, you've got your bill, they're similar. Uh, there may be some tweaks here and there. So once that they get passed over as a joint committee then, I mean, explain to us how that gets to be a, a, a codified law. Well, I will tell you that they still got a ways to go in each chamber. Both has been referred to the Committee on Finance. And as we know, that's going to be somewhat of a thing. And there is going to be quite a difference if whose bill passes out, whether it's our bill that we're required immediately for all three grades, or will it be the Senate side that agrees of uh, first grade next year? And uh, so once they get through those finance uh, committees, then they will come over, and at some point, the two bills will come together and become one. I mean, I, I'm confident in that. I think yeah. I agree with the Senator that both sides, really everybody knows something has to be done. So. It's not an unworkable solution that we have to this bill. Your Senate bill is a little more tiered and takes a little more time. How come? Well, I think that that's a good uh, 
approach to do it. Yeah, I don't think you can roll, it'll be difficult to roll it out in one year. I think doing a tiered approach allows you to assess what you've done so far and is the next step ready, are we ready to do the next step? So I think incremental steps are good. And, we, and, and the one thing I would say also is what the Senator is talking, if you do it one grade at a time like this, it's gonna be hard to get that amount of people. We having a, we're having a hard time now hiring people for these jobs. And I think taking it one year at a time will allow us to roll it in with a much more uh, way of training. And I think he's hit the key. The training is the aspect here. They have to agree to additional training and we have to supply that training. I'm not sure you can roll it out all in one year. Well, we want to thank you both for being here. We're going to follow what's going to go on in the House and the Senate. And I know that the Teachers Union, the Education Union, everybody's behind this. Everybody likes it. It seems like everybody's singing on the same sheet of music. So, Bob and Joe, thanks for being here today. And, Bob, back to you. Thanks for that, Randy. That brings another day of the 60-day legislative session to a close. Tune into the legislature today, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. We'll have a lot more news and interviews from the 2023 legislative session. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting is covering the session daily in our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our news site at wvpublic.org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and Senate on the West Virginia channel, and we stream those on YouTube as well. I'm Bob Runner. Thanks for joining us, and have a good evening.